Hello, and welcome again to the Here and Now podcast from Federated Hermes. I'm Linda Dissel, Senior Equity Strategist. And today, I'm joined via phone by Linda Bakshin, Senior Portfolio Manager and Head of the Value Income Team, and Steve Gutch, Senior Portfolio Manager. Today, we're going to discuss why investors should consider value now. Linda, let's start with you. Uh, How would you define value for the group? Well, thank you so much for having us here first. Um, in terms of how we define value, we characterize value as companies with strong balance sheets, cash flow, and management teams with improving fundamentals. Um, we can find value in all areas of the market. Um, for us, we bucket value in three categories, uh, cyclical value companies um, that are in more cyclical areas of the market, such as materials, industrials, and energy. The second bucket is we like quality value, uh, which we can find, again, in many sectors. And really, this is characterized by companies that are driving fundamental change. But valuation doesn't exactly reflect this improvement. And again, you can find these quality companies in all areas of the market, including uh, sectors like technology at the moment. And finally, defensive value. And these are your traditional sectors, such as healthcare and utilities. Okay, well, excellent. It's, uh, so it's not just as simple as these sectors are industries of value and these are growth. It's more, much more nuanced than that. And uh, that's good news because I, I suppose that, that uh, gives a lot more for you to choose from when you're putting together your portfolios. I'd like to now turn to Steve and ask you, Steve. Uh, I saw a statistic recently that said, as of late last year, value, which is under, we all know has underperformed growth for quite a long time, has underperformed it so badly. It was in the top 1% of worst periods since 1929. Is value particularly inexpensive now, Steve? Well, no pun intended, but value certainly has valuation on its side. And and there's no question that growth valuations are expensive. And this is not only absolute, but it's relative to the rest of the market. And it's it's whether you look at enterprise value to sales or a price to earnings ratio, there's just no question that growth is a very expensive part of the market. Now, you're correct, Linda. After 14 years of underperformance by value, we believe value has a lot of attractive valuations and investment opportunities. And this is because there is very strong earnings growth over the next few years. And we think it's very attractive space to be in. It's almost, it seems like it's almost been like waiting for Godot and it's cheap and it's cheap and it's cheaper and it's cheaper. But gosh, the worst one percentile, you might think if you were a long-term investor, you might take a look over there for truly, truly great values. But uh, go back to you now, Linda, and as you, as you said in your definition of value, there is all, all kinds of value. And I know that among the portfolios that you work on are some balanced portfolios that have some income in there. Here, here I, I know I'm a good baby boomer, a good aging baby boomer. I know there's a lot of us out there. And we're, uh, as we get older, we've always understood that we're supposed to be investing ever more for income and for so-called safety. And for decades and decades and decades, we always turn to the US government bond, notwithstanding concerns right now about where that long-term government bond is. If I give my money to the US government today for 10 years, I think they're paying me in and around one and a half percent. And I've read that's the lowest 
yield versus dividend since at least 1955. So when I consider I'm supposed to find reasonably safe income, how can one find safe income, Linda? Yeah, well, safe income, you know, is really about positive fundamentals and cash flows. Um, so we try to balance income, total return, and risk to really deliver a consistent monthly income and total return over a business cycle. So you ask, what does that really mean in terms of, you know, safe income and, you know, what do you just describe? It really means that we have a diversified portfolio that can invest in cyclical value companies, such as energy, materials, and financials, and find quality tech companies as well to meet those fundamental parameters. And these companies can be income also. The other issue to note is that, as you mentioned, the 10-year is rising, and we believe that it will move more towards the 2% range by year-end. Hence, Companies that can pass on those inflationary costs um, will be able to maintain the margins and grow cash flows and are likely to be companies that maintain and grow that dividend also. And that's more on the equity side. It's not worthy to say to mention that on the, on the fixed income side, you can find good income as well. For example, munis are in a good place at the moment, we believe. And also the credit side of fixed income, given they have lower duration, which means that they are less sensitive to fixed uh, to, to the 10 year movements. We can find income in those areas also, but we still prefer equities in our portfolios at this point. Okay, it's a, very interesting though, what you said about other areas. Uh, you know, if for my part, as I've traveled the country, I used to travel the country as I used to travel the country and meet with advisors for oh, more than 10 years. It seemed the most common question was, where do I get income from my clients? And, and clearly in this day and age, you need to be much more imaginative in terms of where you look for income. And I think that uh, your comments about kind of the more balanced portfolios is a way to really boost your income and, and stay with what I, I know is uh, the value that you're looking for and the quality that you're looking for has to be part of the toolkit these days. So it's, so it's uh, it's great that you're that you're uh, considering those too, and that you're using those. Um, now, speaking of what everybody's talking about these days, and now this goes to, this one goes to you, Steve. Uh, I, I saw I saw that you know Google searches for the word inflation are at an all time record high. Everybody wants to talk about inflation, and everybody's worried about what uh, what inflation is going to look like in the in the uh, next number of months, and indeed, perhaps in the years ahead, um, how does how do inflation worries fit in with val the value style? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and it's been so long since a lot of people have considered what inflation uh, can do to their portfolios, and where should you go when inflation rears its ugly head potentially. But honestly, if you look over time, inflation is very positive for value-oriented portfolios, and this has to do with a cyclical orientation of value portfolios. And think about what we're talking about inflation. There are many different types of inflation. You can have labor inflation, you can have a commodity inflation. And what we're thinking about and how we're invested is thinking about the commodity inflation and where they have pricing power, where they can pass it through to their customers. This is in the energy sector and this is in the materials sector. We think there's some really unique opportunities there. 
Obviously, you have to be concerned about labor inflation and can they pass it through? And this is why sometimes on the retail side, it may be a little more challenging, which we have not um, overestimated and not, uh, you know, had a strong presence in the portfolio. Okay, so uh, inflation has been dormant for so long. Now it may be rearing its ugly head and that might be a very, very powerful reason why the time is now for value. Uh, Sticking with you, as we as we said, growth had outperformed for so very long, and we did see some value starting to pick up, particularly in those cyclicals in the, in the back end of last year and into early this year. Is the value rotation going to stick this time, Steve? Would stick with us? It, it's amazing how often we get these questions, and it's only been seven <laughs> months of value outperformance. Now, if you, if you go back in history, the performance cycles of growth and value are actually very long. They're not very short. It's been 14 years, actually since 2006, um, that growth has outperformed value. So why does value have legs now? One of the most important parts that I think everyone needs to consider is the earnings growth potential of many of the value sectors. A lot of them are cyclical, but it's really broad-based. When value doesn't outperform, it's really because there isn't earnings growth. We see a huge demand coming through out across many sectors. And as everyone knows, there's extremely low supply and there's very low inventory. What this leads to is strong earnings growth, not just this year, but for multiple years down the road. That's why we think this value cycle is different than the the fits and starts that we've had over the past 10 years. Multiple years down the road for earnings. That's very exciting. It is. Uh, We've had some serious stimulus here, Linda. As you know, much more stimulus than we had at the uh, at, in the aftermath of the housing bubble bursting, and I, I noticed that low quality stocks in both of those occasions with outsized stimulus spiked versus high quality stocks. Now you mentioned in your remarks about how you look for com- how you look for companies and value, how you define value. You speak of high quality, Linda. Uh, is now the time for high quality versus low quality, do you think? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The you know the huge amount of stimulus that has been injected into the system over the past year has really meant that some of the companies that are lower qualities have been really beat up by the market and valuations are expensive. Um, I think the classic example that comes to my mind is really the retail industry. Um, a couple of years ago with the, you know, Amazon coming into the, into the mix, you know, a lot of these retail companies were thought that they're going to go bankrupt. However, over the last year or so, the amount of stimulus that has been pushed through the economy has basically given them a second chance. Now, we don't know which ones will survive, and I'm sure there's going to be more bankruptcies down the line. But valuation in some areas of the market, in my opinion, are actually stretched. So in our investment process, it does guide us towards the quality companies, especially as inflation is on the rise. And Steve mentioned, we are looking for companies that have real pricing power and are likely to be you know, the winners in this inflationary game here. So that's really the key to think about is pricing power. As the economy improves, inflation and interest rates are steadily rising. We do believe that the cyclical sectors, you know, are going to outperform. Um, And that's really the current environment. And as the global economy starts to open up, inventories still remain low, pent-up demand. There's still huge amounts of pent-up demand and high um, amount of consumer and companies that are flush with cash, right? So as we move through the cycle, then, 
you know, we think that at the moment, cyclicals are going to outperform. And it's, you know, as we go down the cycle, we think that this is going to hand over to quality companies. So, you know, I think it's all about relative valuation. And this is really important to why you should really look at various parts of the business cycle and the different areas of where value can work and the handoff between each of those as the value cycle is elongated. Okay, that's that's excellent. I love what you said about uh, quality coming into play and now you have to focus on pricing power, which kind of leads me to the next question that I wanted to ask Steve as we look at the in the incredible changes in our economy in these last few years where we where we fell into a terrible recession because of the covid shutdowns then we've had kind of a v-shaped recovery where i think all all boats uh, were lifted to include those low quality ones that now linda's suggesting maybe maybe uh, we're going to be more careful now in terms of picking and i'm reading more about the fact that we may now be in our economy more mid cycle do you agree with that steve and how in your in your portfolios are is that being reflected? If you believe we're now moving towards mid cycle, no, I I agree we are moving towards mid cycle. I mean, remember last year, you know, we were trying to determine which companies are going to survive, as as Linda said, and this was some of the consumer names were some just absolutely excellent opportunities, and also in early cycle industrials, and this is where the valuations we thought were just well below what was fair value. But as you said, in, the, in a true V-shaped recovery, many of these stocks in, in these sectors, especially in the early cycle parts, have, as, have appreciated materially. So what we have done is we've transitioned sort of out of those. And where we're kind of going to now is more like a, a mid to late cycle in industrials. Think commercial aerospace. Also think banks and financials. Many people think they're early cycle, but early cycle people are worried about credit there. And we don't believe we're in any type of a credit situation. So banks are really a nice mid to almost late cycle um, opportunity. And also, which is very interesting, is in the energy sector, the services part of energy, where you see increasing demand from the energy sector and the services component, we think can be a very strong beneficiary. So we're not quite, you know, Towards towards late cycle, I think we're still getting to that mid cycle, and it gets to be a very interesting handoff um, as the year goes on. It's it's really have to stay tuned, don't you? As the sands keep shifting, and um, I think uh, now before, but we have just a few minutes left here, and I want to come back to you, Linda. And I ha- I hate to bring it up, but I have to bring up some politics here. President Biden's uh, has some really powerful fiscal policies that he's proposed. Do you believe that the uh, Biden administration's policies, if enacted, would have favorable implications for the value style? Well, you know, no one really knows what the fiscal policy changes will be at the moment, right? I mean, they're going to take a lot of different shapes and, you know, a lot of different debates to finally get to the the final um, product. Um, What we know currently or what is being, you know, debated currently is that Corporate taxes will rise to somewhere about 25% range. So he's, you know, President Biden's proposed 28. They're probably, you know, current rate is about 21. So they're going to probably settle somewhere around 25% rate. And I think this will be very manageable by companies. Um, It's, you know, the higher taxes will probably be offset by cost savings and the business cycle itself and higher productivity, for example. And companies that are in this camp, uh, that can offset these, you know, higher taxes tend to be more value char- have more value characteristics. They're going to be more mature. 
um, companies, established revenues, balance sheets, and cost savings programs. So they tend to have more value characteristics than we do think that value style will outperform, even if corporate taxes rise. I think the issue is really around taxes becomes, or, you know, it's really driven by foreign taxes, right? The foreign earnings and those tax increases will disproportionately hit uh, or impact companies that have more foreign sales or growth type companies that will pay a minimal taxes, um, that pay minimal taxes currently. And they don't tend to be, you know, um, and they tend to be centered around technology and communication services. So we believe that growthier, those high growth, high price to sale companies will be more at crosshairs of, you know, foreign taxes and value companies will be much better placed to offset the increase in corporate taxes. Yeah, it it does seem obvious that uh, tax hikes are coming and really not sure that the market is paying much attention to that yet. But in the event, I come back to... um, now come back to those uh, those aging baby boomers, those savers out there, and looking at tax hikes. Final question here uh, to you, Linda: How can a balanced portfolio help uh, if and when taxes rise? Sure. Um, first, in our balanced portfolios, we do remain overweight equities. We do think that with rising interest rate environment and inflation, equities are a real hedge um, here to these balanced portfolios. However, we're not completely abandoning fixed income. As I said before, I think there is some real interest and some um, real value and income in the fixed incomes. For example, we like credit um, due to the short duration of the instrument. And if taxes do rise, we think munis are particularly interesting here, given that they will remain fairly tax free, even with interest rate, even with income taxes rising. And hence, munis can potentially have a distinct advantage here, um, especially as the you know economy improves and the state budgets are becoming you know becoming much more balanced. So, if you can combine a federally tax-free muni and equities in a portfolio, you can take advantage of income variable and offset inflation interest rate. Um, and I think that's a really pretty good combination. Or, you know, really move towards equities in a portfolio with credit that has the shorter duration and can withstand those interest rate movements. I think a balanced portfolio really works well in 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 an environment where there is a lot of um, policy changes that are going to be occurring over the next you know few quarters. I've I've seen that uh, with the previous administration's huge tax cut. The market didn't seem to react until after it actually was signed into legislation. And to the extent that that would happen again this time, it could be that we're still staying tuned to see the reaction. And and I think there's been a lot of evidence over many decades that when taxes go up, the well-to-do tend to race towards munis, don't they? So, well, great. Uh, so thank you. Thank you very much, Linda and Steve. And thank you to our listeners. We look forward to you joining us again on the Federated Hermes Here and Now podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to subscribe to the Federated Hermes channel to get every Here and Now episode, plus our other series, Amplified and Fundamentals, for a global perspective on the issues, challenges, and trends shaping the investment landscape. 
Views are as of May 27, 2021, and are subject to change based on market conditions and other factors. This should not be construed as a recommendation for any particular security or sector. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments are subject to risk and fluctuate in value. Bond prices are sensitive to changes in interest rates, and a rise in interest rates can cause a decline in their prices. Municipal securities may be subject to the alternative minimum tax and state and local taxes. Value stocks may lag growth stocks performance at times, particularly in late stages of a market advance. Due to their relatively high valuations, growth stocks are typically more volatile than value stocks. Federated Equity Management Company of Pennsylvania 